Because if my wife and I aren't on the same page, that generational momentum that I talked about, I want my kids to be stronger sooner, and then their kids can be stronger sooner, that's not going to happen. The deepest truths are more caught than taught. I see the walls before me, I feel the cages forming, seems like the wall is falling, but I keep my head off the ground. I see the wall before me, I know what change is coming, I hear the world is calling, so I keep my head off the ground. We break into everything. We break into everything. Hello and welcome to the Barrier Breakers Corner, where we shift mindsets around various topics such as family, finance, relationships, dreams and visions, and most importantly, opportunities and how to walk into them. We want to annihilate the assumption that we cannot break barriers. Let me tell you this today. There is more on the other side of you breaking that barrier that you would never know unless you do. We break into everything. Hello and welcome to the Barrier Breakers Corner podcast where we step out on faith and defy the earth. I am your host, Joyce Dunbar. Today we are having a father and a father <laughs> here. We had the mother and a mother session, mother and daughter session. About two weeks ago, we released that. And today's father and son podcast session, but they're both fathers and they are Pastor Kyle and Pastor Robert Henson. And they're going to talk about fathering and everything that has got to do with that. So please introduce yourself. Dad, do you want to go first? My name is Robert Henson. I am originally from the East Coast of Virginia. My father was a sharecropper. And I was raised on a farm. Later, he became a dairy farmer. Very rural, but very historical. The birthplace of George Washington in the Lees of Virginia. And uh, no one had ever graduated from high school in my family. So I was the first to graduate from high school, the first to go to college. And at the age of 16, the Lord called me to preach. And so I went to Lee College, which is now Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. Then afterward, I went to Hartford Seminary in Hartford, Connecticut, did a Master's of Arts degree, and then went to New Haven, Connecticut, to Yale University Divinity School, and graduated with a Master's of Divinity, Pastored as a co-pastor for two years in Springfield, Massachusetts, 1974. I came to Reading and had been here ever since 1974. Oh, wow. Amazing. I love the fact that you were one of the first people to graduate in your family. And that's a barrier-breaking story. Probably get into that later. But Kyle, you want to introduce yourself as well? Yeah. My name is Kyle Henson. I am born in Reading, Pennsylvania, Reading. Is about an hour west of Philly, so kind of had that Philly vibe, the greater Philadelphia area. Was raised in the church where my dad pastored, Spring Valley Church. At 17 years old, almost 18, moved to the university in Tennessee, lived in Tennessee for seven years. My undergrad is in telecommunications and media, and then I MDiv my Master's of Divinity at Pentecostal Theological Seminary. So really enjoyed that. After seven years of living in the Southeast, doing all my education, came back to Berks County, the area that we live in Reading, 
and actually came one step under my dad as one of the associate pastors. My first job was leading college-age ministry. After that, I organized and deployed the small group ministry of the church, oversaw the small groups, probably about 30-some-odd small groups on average. And then in 2012, my dad felt like it was time for him to move into retirement or semi-retirement. He's still at the church. And I had the privilege of being appointed as lead pastor. I've been the lead pastor since 2012. Love it. Love the church I get to serve. I'm married. My wife, Shanti, is a pharmacist at the local hospital. We have two sons, Micah and Josiah, 10 and 8 years old, and today was their last day of school. They're <laughs> super pumped. There's a half day, and they are excited for the pool and for amusement parks and for summer. So, All the kids are looking forward to the summer break. <laughs> exactly. How has fathering been for both of you? And anyone can step. It's been fantastic. My wife and I were married nine years and never thought that we would be able to have children. I had a wonderful friend who has now gone home to be with the Lord. He was a native of India, and he came back to visit here in the States, and he was concerned that we had no children. And he spoke a word of the Lord over my wife and I, and he said, I'm going to pray that you would have a child. After he went back, it was about a month later that we found that my wife was expecting Oh, wow. But she had had a miscarriage before, and at five weeks, she started bleeding, went to the hospital. The hospital said that she only had a 50-50 chance of carrying the child. I called my friend in India. He spoke. He said, don't be afraid. You will have a son, and this is before ultrasounds or anything, and you will be holding him in your hands. Oh, wow. And I, Stephen, if you're a man of God, I'll name him after you. And my wife took Kyle up to the eighth month. He was born premature, weighed three pounds and 14 ounces, and he is named Stephen Kyle after Brother Reddy Stephen. He is the joy, the delight. We have two daughters, four years after Kyle, Chris born, and four years later, Michelle was born. So our children came later in life, and it has been the greatest delight of my heart to be a father. That's an amazing story. And probably later, I'll want to find out how we can encourage other people because there's a lot of people that are out there that after nine years or 10 years or 15 years, they haven't had kids. And it's like, how do we do this? But I'm even being encouraged here that no matter what the circumstances in life, just trust in God and he will definitely make a way. I'm not going to cheer it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. How has fathering been for you? You know, it's wonderful. So again, our kids are still pretty young eight and 10. And this is a pretty good season of life. When they were younger, neither were great sleepers, the infancy stages, and they're two years apart. So there was about four years of just functional exhaustion. They were still great, but you're just trying to make it through each day. And look, you hear things with teenage years. I have faith that we'll have a great relationship, but I know there'll be challenges too. But at the age that they're at now, it's really a joy. One of my professors at seminary had said, when you're a father and you have kids of your own, you'll know more about God's father heart for you. And it's true, even in disciplining how I see the potential of my kids. Like, for instance, when they do, like every kid, even the best, you got, you got to discipline them. They get out of line. Yeah, yeah. They're not bad kids. They're good kids that are doing bad things, not identifying their identity, which is the same way I believe our Heavenly Father sees us created in His image and not losing that, even though we fall short in sin. 
My oldest son is a carbon copy of me. It's freakish almost how similar he is. And so I see so much of myself in him. And my younger son is an interesting mix of my wife and I. And so being a father, certainly it makes you introspective because I want both of my sons to be stronger sooner than I was. And I want their children to be stronger sooner. Like I believe in a generational momentum. Right. Just as I built on what my father gave me, my sons will build on what I can give them and continuing until Christ returns. So the drive to be an authentic example of godliness to your kids, to your sons, that they can be proud of, wanting to help them when you recognize so much of yourself in them and you're not always even sure, like even though you know what they're going to face in life, not always sure how to help them navigate that. And so seeking God for wisdom, but in short, it's a wonderful experience being a dad. Pastor Robert, so when you were younger, what was running through your mind when you thought about being a father? What was the things that came to mind? I must admit, I never really thought about it. It wasn't until after my wife and I married that we then looked forward to having children, only to find out that at that point we could not have children. But I am so very thankful that I was 29 years old, I think, when Kyle was born. I had reached that stage in my life where I knew that I wanted to devote myself to my children. I had seen so many parents that, to me, they neglected their children. Ministry was more important than their children. I determined that my children would be a priority. And Kyle can tell you, the first trip that I took him on was to India. That's the first trip that you and I did together. We did together, just the two of us. And he was 12 years old. And that was wonderful. But from the very time, I think that he was maybe five years old, the first time we took him to the Holy Land. Maybe younger. Maybe younger. I remember standing on the steps of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and a bunch of Protestants, and we're singing, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand, All Other Ground is Sinking Sand, and Kyle is chasing the pigeons around. (laughs) So it's been fantastic. I could not imagine my life not being a father. That has been the most important thing in my life, above pastoring, is being a father. Pastor Kyle, how do you feel being priority to your dad? Because when he said, I want to make my kids as priority, I opened my eyes wide because I'm like, that is something I always say to people. Because your home is your first assignment before you go out there, especially for preachers. Make sure that your home is first intact before you go out there preaching the gospel or doing anything. So how do you feel him putting you as first in his life? I specifically appreciate it even more. So I go to college. I'm at a Christian school. A lot of pastors, kids are there. And I remember I'm at a Bible study and it's being led by the son of a a fairly well-known pastor. And we're about the same age. And he mentions that he really didn't know his dad when he was growing up. His dad was always busy, involved in ministry. But now that the son was in college studying for ministry and he had that in common with his dad, they were building a relationship. And I remember not identifying with that, not identifying with that piece. They did do a really good job. And I think for me, it's something I've tried to carry over as well. Ambition isn't wrong. Yeah. I think problem is when your priorities are misaligned. So people become more ambitious for their career in the church world. It's no different. You become more ambitious for your career than you are for your home. And so this isn't wrong, but you need to have a greater ambition for your home than you do for your career. You can have ambition both, but the passion, the priority has to be on the home. 
not just for your children, but for your wife as well. Yeah. In a really good way, my dad helped model that, as he mentioned. And traveling was the highlight. When I was really young, it was a tour group that my family was part of. That's when we went to the Holy Land. But when I was, as he mentioned, 11 or 12, it was just the two of us traveling to India, visiting friends there, riding a train from Hyderabad to the Bay of Bengal. Really amazing memories that I carry to this day. It wasn't just trips. Like I remember when you had the old VHS of the Civil War documentary, because my dad loves history and Ken Burns, he's this famous documentary director. He had done this documentary of the Civil War. And my dad liked calling me downstairs on Saturdays or it might've been the summer or in the morning. I can't remember, but just like, hey, you can watch this with me. And just sitting on the couch watching this historical documentary with my dad as we went through each VHS tape, spending time together. Yeah, I think it's important. Right. Are you being able to do that with your kids now too? Yeah. I try to find what their interests are and connect with them. So my youngest is only eight. His interest changes from week to week. But for right now, he's really interested in working out and, and being in and so, And I go to the gym usually about five days a week. He said, Dad, you need to work on your abs. You're, you're a little bit soft in the middle. This morning he got me and he's like, all right, Dad, before I go to school, let's do some ab work together. And so we did. I let him lead it. He can hold a good plank. You know, he can hold a plank for about yeah. two minutes. He's better than me. Micah, he loves computers, but he also he's kind of an adventurous thrill taker. And so we got them for Christmas season tickets to a local amusement park, Hershey Park. And I took a half day off and we went over and there's this brand new roller coaster. Normally it's a two hour wait, but we went in the middle of the week and so it's only a 10 minute wait. And he and I got to ride next to each other twice in a row. And so it's not just the big things, it's the little things, right? Yeah. out with your son in the morning, taking a half day off and going to the amusement park. My dad talked about the, the India trip for my 10 year old. He's at an age now where it's about the age that I started to really remember and be positively impacted by those trips. We're looking at maybe later this year, early next year, doing a missions trip with me and him. And we're looking to go into Mexico. I have a friend that is going to be, his church will be going to Mexico. And so anyway, yeah, I am carrying that on. That's really great. When you were younger, what were your thoughts of being a father? My dad or my future being a father, like when I would grow up. When you were younger, yeah. I don't know. I think it's one of those things that until you step through it, you can't fully comprehend it. Of course, you assume that you're going to be a father someday. You look forward to it. I didn't have any brothers. I had two sisters. So when I found out we were having a boy, I was like, oh, we get to, you know, be rough and tumble and play and wrestle and that kind of thing. I don't know if I had any really strong thoughts other than, yeah, of course, I'll be a dad. Of course, that's something I'll do. And then stepping into fatherhood. It's one of those rites of passage that you really can't prepare for. You know, you read books, but... You have to be in the role to really know how to go about it. I think so, yeah. So what are the challenges? Is it difficult being a father? Are there challenges or it's smooth sail? Well, I mean, my dad's kids are grown, so he's had more seasons <laughs> to talk about. <laughs> yes, you can go ahead. I can talk about some other stuff, but, you know, I'll let you go first. I'm thankful there were four years between each of our children. So by the time Kyle was diapered and was able to take care of himself, and then Crystal was born and she was able to take care of herself, Michelle was born. I think that one of the things, every child in a family is so different from another. Mm. As far as personality, their likes, their dislikes, their ambitions, you have to learn that your children are not carbon copies of one another. If there is one thing that I'm thankful about all three of my children, we instilled within them the need for education. And all three of my children had their college degrees. All three of them had their master's degrees. 
And so I am very, very thankful and very grateful for that. There are certainly challenges. I think Kyle will tell you, growing up in a pastor's family, it's like growing up in a fishbowl <laughs> because everyone's looking at you. One of the things that I tried to do was to protect my children, not to let them know problems, because there's always problems that exist in the church, but not airing those problems before my children and giving them a positive, the church and of Christianity. Yeah. I'm aware of the, um, that my kids are pastors, kids of a fairly good sized church. We're post-COVID, so we'll see what the numbers are when it's all said and done, but it's still quite a bit larger than the average church. And so there could be a lot of attention. And I think growing up, as my dad said, realizing how kids are different. So I'm a spiking extrovert. So I didn't mind a certain level of attention. Um, <laughs> and I was in on the joke pretty quickly. Like I realized what was happening. Parents were living vicariously through me. Like their kids were losers. And so I was the proxy, the hope generation X. You want to live vicariously through me? Whatever. Whereas my younger sister, she's the older of the two, younger than me, Krista, extremely introverted. And even with the sheltering that my dad gave, she still just did not like even that sense of being identified as the pastor's kid. So I look at my two kids. Micah, my oldest, is just like me. He's an extrovert. He loves to talk. He loves to make jokes. Just I can't quite tell yet what his personality will be. But I do want to make sure I'm guarding them. And so far, I've not seen anything. In terms of challenges in general, at this age, the biggest challenges have been health challenges, actually. Specifically with my oldest son, Micah, was born with a condition called craniosynostosis where the plates of his skull, instead of having a soft spot, they were prematurely fused together. And there was not a procedure that could correct that. As he grew, he would have skull deformities. And depending on how the sutures were fused, it could have these serious effects. So at six months old, he had to have a pretty major surgery where they made an incision from ear to ear, pulled his skull open, basically broke it up to create a soft spot and then sewed it all back together. And so seeing pre-major surgery on the skull of your six month. Right. But we got through that and there was no developmental delays that were permanent. He did have to do occupational therapy, some physical therapy, just because it was traumatic surgery at the six month part. There wasn't anything inherent like to his makeup, his mind, but just the trauma of that set him back. But we got through that. And then a few years ago, my wife was at work at the hospital and I was getting the kids ready for school in the morning, having breakfast. Micah fell out of his chair and began to have a seizure. We had seen some behavior that had not been a full seizure, but had made us wonder if there was something. We were keeping an eye on it. Again, I just remember holding him in my arms, knowing I was powerless to stop it, calling 911. Then there's all the questions. Was that related to his surgery at six months old? Which it wasn't. It seems like it was coincidental. And again, even those things in the grand scheme are minor. Once he got his medication up to dose, he's not had any seizures in almost two years. There were some seizures after that until they had to get his medication to a certain level. Because they're still fairly young, the greatest challenges have been those. And just trusting God when you can't, you would gladly, you would take your child's pain, sickness, illness, you would carry that for them, but you cannot. And just trusting God and seeing him, you know, again, come through. You don't always know the exact words to say. Again, I just picked him up a few hours ago from school. It was a half day. In our school district, fourth grade is the last grade in the elementary building. Fifth and sixth grade are their own building. It's middle school. So just picking up both my kids and my oldest, who I realize I'm, t I'm talking about him a lot. And I'm just as close in relationship as with my youngest. It just, the stories happen to be with my oldest right now. But he's kind of tearing up. And he's like, this is the last day I'll ever be in this building again. <laughs> and so wanting to explore those emotions with him, but not knowing exactly what to say and not wanting to come off overbearing. 
saying, hey, do you want to talk about it? He's like, no. I was like, okay. I let it go. And then later, I was like, you want to talk about it all? And he's like, well, it was a mix of sad and excited. And I was like, yeah, that's cool. You want to explore their heart with them and don't always know what to say or if you should say anything or commit. So I think those are some of the challenges, realizing that even when you want to be on your game, there's no formula. Right. And so even as you talked about trusting God, I just want us to talk about that now. With Pastor Robert, you talked about having to wait nine years to have your first child. And then with Pastor Kyle, you talked about the health challenges. So in those moments, how was trusting God like for you? Anyone can start, yeah. It's really a faith walk. When he was born at eight months and weighed three pounds and 14 ounces, and seeing him as a little one in the incubator, then he has jaundice and they're coming in twice a day and slicing his heel to get blood. There is nothing you can do but to stand there and to say, God, I rely on you. I trust in you. Now, Kyle is in his 40s. My other two children are in their 30s. I now have seven grandchildren. My oldest just graduated from high school. And there are different seasons. And just because you've come through one season, it doesn't mean that the next season is going to be easy, whether it be for yourself or whether it be for your children or your grandchildren. And you have to trust God. You say, God, I can't do anything. Believe that you know what is best and that you are going to do what I cannot do. And so I've learned what it is to relinquish, hopefully, and I'm not always good at this, to relinquish and to say, okay, God, I'm putting it in your hands and I'm trusting you. But I can look back and uh, I can say I am so, so proud of my children and of my grandchildren. So my grandchildren range from 18, almost 19, to three years old, and is the best season of my life. I'll soon be 76 years old, and to realize how good God has been, I just praise Him, and I trust Him. And Kyle, I could not be more proud of him. He is a great son. He is a great bastard. He is a great husband. He is a great father. I could not be more thankful that at this stage of my life, I get to serve under my son and to live only 15 minutes from my family and from his two boys. I know the question was, how do you rely on God during difficult times? Before I answer that, I want to bounce off to what my dad just said. And I appreciate him, his words of encouragement. They're genuine. He's been very free with that throughout the years. When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, God the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased or in whom I delight in. And just as Jesus heard that from God the Father, I believe all sons and daughters are looking to hear that from their fathers and mothers. And I'm extremely fortunate that throughout my life, through all the seasons of my life, I've had that authentically from my dad. I've known that I was his beloved son that he delights in. And that's something I try to pass on to my kids. I want them to know that they're my beloved sons and I genuinely delight in them, enjoy spending time with them. And so often I see fathers who don't impart that blessing, maybe because it was never given to them, maybe because nobody ever modeled it for them, maybe because they feel uncomfortable, but it always produces a deficit in the heart of that child. And I'm incredibly grateful that my dad modeled for me the fatherly blessing that I now get to pass on to my kids. But anyway, in terms of trusting God in hard times, I would just say, I don't think it's a deep answer. When my son was going through his difficult times, I can't remember having an existential crisis or freaking out. 
stressful. I remember that, but you just walk through it. There's nothing to do but walk through it. Now, I think that probably came out in other ways. I probably took that stress out on like my staff or people in church. And so that's where therapy comes in. Right. But it was unconscious probably. Like it wasn't direct. Like I was getting through this, but I was taking it out over here. But I think the other thing that was important, my wife and I, we have mentors who are a couple steps ahead of us in parenting. So there's a pastoral couple named Kip and Dixie, and they're about 10 years, maybe 12 years older than us. And their youngest son just graduated from college a few years ago. They have three kids. All three of their kids love the Lord. And so they're close enough in age that we can relate to them, but they're season ahead. And so I just remember in every season talking like, you guys did something right. What is it? And, and having that voice in your life that can speak into you. And again, their constant admonition is just pray. You know, you can't do it all right. Pray, trust God. And so we, we've done that. That's so true. And when you talk about mentoring, I just realized that throughout all the conversations or most of the conversations I've had on the podcast, people talk about mentoring and having to have someone that is like a go-to person that you go to for advice and talk to, especially when you're going through stuff, but also on a normal day and you want to just talk about stuff. Yeah, you can talk about things with them which is so important because we need each other to grow. We need each other to be better. And then I just want to go back to when you talk about being a pastor's child. I don't know why this is a thing, but a lot of people just look at the pastor's kids because I've been through that as well. Like they are holier than thou. They are like Jesus's (laughs) assistant or something. And so you do any bad thing. It's like, that's the pastor's child. Why is she doing that? And it's like, even in the church setting, but outside, as long as they know that you're a pastor's kid, it's like, your eyes are on you. And I'm like, I'm first of all, a human being. <laughs> yep. You're wrong. I make mistakes. And then when you get into being a teenager as well, it's worse because teenagers have different things they are going through, you know, mentally as well. So I don't know why this is the thing. I thought it was just us, but then becoming older, I just realized that it's not just us from Gambia, but also just around the world and hearing your story. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> So what are the lessons you've learned, Pastor Robert, from fathering? Before I had children, I thought that I could write a book on how to raise a child and to be a father. And after becoming a father, I realized that uh, all of the books that have been written cannot prepare you or teach you. You have to rely on the Lord every day and ask Him for wisdom and for guidance, and for direction. If there is one thing that I have held, and I am far from being a perfect father or grandfather, but I have always tried to, and I was fortunate because my family was a very close family in Virginia. I came from what we call a huggy-kissy family. I did not know what it was not to receive verbal affirmation from my mother especially, and later from my father after he accepted the Lord. And Kyle will tell you, it is just a matter, of course, that we see each other, we hug, we kiss, we say hello. And that has been a constant. Even if there were times that my children may have disappointed me, they never had to second guess whether we loved them or not. That was a constant. So we have tried to show that and now to our grandchildren, whether it's Kyle's two boys or whether it's my other grandchildren, we will always hug and kiss them and say that we love them. I think that is so important. When a child grows up and they realize that they are loved and they are accepted, 
That is so important. My father and mother had been dead since 1990. So Kyle was young when uh, he knew his grandparents. But I have two favorite pictures of Kyle and my father. One is of my father walking through the old streets of Jerusalem. And Kyle is maybe five years old and my dad is carrying him. And Kyle's head is resting on the shoulder of my father. We had taken a trip to Lancaster. Kyle is walking between my father and myself in holding hands. And someone in the family took a picture from the back of us. Mm-hmm. And so there's the three of us and we're walking and we're holding hands. Oh, and those pictures are so very, very special. It has been such a joy, such a delight to be a father, to continue to be a father, and now to be in this role as a grandfather. That's amazing. How about you, Pastor Kyle? Lessons? Yeah, lessons I've learned. Number one would be that kids at a young age perceive more than you give them credit for. Mm. So you need to be authentic. I think some people would think because they're perceiving more, I have to try harder. I have to put on a persona to impress them. But I really think being authentic. My kids at times have seen me under stress because of church. And I've brought that home at times in the past, not really recently. And I've had to apologize to them. Yeah, I'm sorry I was short. I'm sorry I was in a bad mood. And guys, here's what I'm doing. Like they know the steps I take to stay healthy, emotionally, physically, all of that. And also my walk with the Lord. They see me reading the Bible every morning. Every night we have a prayer piece that we do before bedtime. But we try to make it authentic and real and part of our lives. I think that's the first thing is being authentic. And then secondly, as much as possible, being fully present in the moment. And social media can really be the enemy of that. Instead of being fully present in the moment, it's easy to respond to messages or check social media or whatever. But really being fully present because you can't engineer meaningful moments. The time you as a parent oftentimes want to have a deep conversation. They just want to focus on YouTube. And then if you're not careful, when they want to have a meaningful conversation or talk about something important, if you're not careful, you have other priorities and you miss that opportunity. I think just being fully present, being mindful, so that if it's not a deep conversation, you're still cultivating gratitude, just hanging out with your kids, just chilling. And then when that opportunity for a deeper or a more meaningful conversation comes, really being able to lean into that and to talk about that. So yeah, those are the two lessons I've learned. And when you talk about being present, I feel like this is something that everyone should work on. I try to do that as well. I mean, I have no kids right now, but I try to make sure that even when I spend time with my pastor's kids or when I go to my aunt's house and I'm spending time with them, I try to be present. Even with my friends, I want to work on that part so that when we're having a conversation, I'm not holding my phone and texting away or just scrolling through social media, but trying to be present with each other so that it becomes part of us. I was reading a book, Dealing Greatly by Brené Brown. Yeah. She talked about even going to the grocery store and just when you are paying for your stuff, just being present there is so important, not just holding your phone and doing other things or talking away or talking on the phone, but just being present with the text it's so important with the cashier is so good and I wanted to ask do grandparents spoil the kids my kids have it so much better than I did like I had it good but it's ridiculous <laughs> my kids have a better bed than I did until I was probably 25 <laughs> oh my. I don't know why they do that I mean can you tell us why do grandparents do that They're stricter when we're younger. And then when they have their own grandkids, they're like, no, you know, let's just spoil them. Like, why? (laughs) 
it's a wonderful thing to be able to say, okay, we're going to have fun with your children, and now we can send them back to you. But I realize that life is so short, and you realize that you have a limited number of days here on this earth. What will you be remembered for? What will my grandchildren remember about their grandfather? Not that he just or their grandma gave them gifts, but they were present in their lives and that there was this absolute unconditional love that we had for them. I hope when I'm older, I would remember this so that I do, (laughs) because I feel like I'll be a strict parent and then be a strict grandparent, but maybe... Pastor Kyle, what are some of the things you take from your dad or you're taking from your dad into your family as a father? I think it's that sense of blessing your child Mm -hmm. and encouraging them. It was interesting. I heard a podcast interview yesterday with the son of a well-known preacher. For a brief period of time, the son was in ministry as well. And he said that his dad was so competitive that he knew not to try to show his dad up. And times that he did really well, he got the feeling like his father was uncomfortable or threatened by him. Mm. And again, as I was listening to that, I was like, it's not at all what I've experienced. My dad has really always encouraged me to exceed him and to go beyond him. And so I think one of the things I have learned from him and I take is that idea of, look, I'm not going to be threatened. Like, I'm pretty secure in who I am. I'm not trying to prove anything. I want my kids to go beyond me and I'm not going to be threatened by them. And they can do something completely different. Like, they might not be in church world. I want them to love Jesus, but maybe they go into church world. Maybe not. That's up to God. But whatever they do, I'm going to be their biggest encourager, and they're going to know that their dad believes in them and that they can run at 100% and not feel that at any point my ego is threatened. And so I got that from my dad, and I think I passed that on. And Pastor Robert, do you have any regrets, or do you feel like there were certain mistakes you did while raising um, (laughs) Oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) Anyone who thinks that they have not made mistakes is a fool. Absolutely. I wish that uh, I would have spent more time with my children. Sometimes the duties of the pastor are so demanding. And especially when we were growing the church, and basically my wife and I had to do everything, especially when our children were coming along, the balance between strictness and freedom. Because when I came along, the church leaned very hard toward the holiness doctrine. And there were a lot of outward kind of restraints that were placed upon people. And we tried to give our children a balance, and probably I didn't do such a good job at that. that. I would disagree. I think you did far better than I had friends whose parents were way more strict. So I thought you did pretty good. Oh, thank you. I mean, that's probably something that was on his mind, thinking he didn't do something great. But then that affirmation from you to let him know that you were great. Yeah. And Pastor Kyle, what do you wish to do better as a father? I don't know if it's better. I think it's just something I want to be aware of. So my dad and I are close. I talked about, you know, watching Civil War documentaries and traveling, him teaching me how to cook, or we used to go bike riding. There's a bike trail near our house. So we're close. But personality-wise, we're extremely different. (laughs) I'm an extreme introvert, and he is the very opposite. (laughs) As a son, you look to your father, in some sense, as in a mirror. Personalities are so different. We were always close, and I always loved him. I don't know. Maybe that's just part of life. Maybe that's just part of growing up. 
because I'm also an external processor. So I guess if I was you, I'd be like giving me a dissertation about what introversion <laughs> is. I don't know. <laughs> talking. So I say that to say my youngest son, Josiah, I'm curious what his personality will be. He's like me in that he hyper focuses on something, which is very much like me. I hyper fixate on things. And Josiah's like that. But he's also like his mom in that he's highly driven and he won't take no for an answer. Once he's locked in, he just goes for it. I don't know if it's different, but his personality and mine are going to be more different than Micah and my personality. And yet I'm extremely close to Josiah. I mean, he's eight. He's very affectionate. He still seeks me out to like wrestle and cuddle and that kind of stuff. Just knowing that we're going to be wired differently, I just want to be mindful of that. I want to be aware of that. I don't have like a plan on how to navigate that, but I want to make sure I'm staying connected to him, even if we're just wired very differently. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Just going to try and round up here. Two more questions. How important it is to support your spouse in the home? Oh, my goodness. It's everything. Everything. But more than that, how much my wife has supported me in the ministry and in the raising of our children. I could never have accomplished what God allowed us to accomplish without my wife. And I'm fully aware of that and um, realize how blessed that I am as a result. Yeah, no, I think it's everything. Be on the same page as your spouse before you have kids. That's not the arena where you want to be figuring out your philosophy of life. Mm -hmm. So my wife and I did premarital counseling before we got married, and they talked about, you know, philosophy of raising kids. And I was young and stupid, and I wanted to be the cool dad. I wanted to be the fun dad. And Shanti was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to have kids with, you know, this idiot. She didn't say that. But I remember the counselor you know, really challenging me biblically. Of course, you can have fun. And of course, you can have a relationship with your kids. But God is not primarily putting me in their life to be, I'm not trying to relive my childhood through them. Again, this before we were married, my wife and I, we worked through that. And we got on the same page of parenting before kids got there. Having two boys, the way I treat my wife, every time I'm interacting with her, I'm training them with how they're going to treat their wives someday. If we had a little girl, I would be training her on what to accept from a man. So having two boys, two young men, I want them to know how to be driven and strong and yet to also be tender with your wife and to love your wife and to cherish your wife. All of that is where this plays out. Because if my wife and I aren't on the same page, that generational momentum that I talked about, I want my kids to be stronger sooner and then their kids can be stronger sooner. That's not going to happen if they don't have wife, if they don't know how to love that wife and communicate with that wife and prioritize and set plans. The deepest truths are more caught than taught. And so it's important that they see that. And what advice have you got for fathers out there who feel like it's hard raising a child? And how can they be better parents, better fathers? What advice have you got for them? My goodness, how important it is for us to mirror Christ. And I can't imagine it would be an impossibility to be a father, to be a husband, to be a grandfather without knowing and having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Men that are trying to be husbands and fathers and grandfathers without Christ, it is no wonder that they are having such crises in their life. So the first thing is to put Christ first and foremost in their life. And I think God will then give them guidance and direction. Solomon, when he came to the throne and God said, ask what you want, and he said, give me wisdom and knowledge. I think that as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, God give me wisdom and give me knowledge. And I would add to that, surround yourself with other men 
that you respect, that also love God, and that have a growth mindset. I'm fairly relentless, I'd say, with the people I surround myself with. I'll love you, but I'll love you from a distance. If you're not trying to serve God, we'll be acquaintances. I'll hang out with a lot of people, but my inner circle, if I look at the inner circle of men, some are younger, some are older, some are about the same age, but I respect each of them. All of us growth mindset. We're not stagnant. Um, our goals aren't just to watch another sporting game and go fishing. Nothing wrong with that. That's a hobby. Yeah. A hobby's not a goal. There's a growth mindset. There's a focused mindset. And each of us share the goals of loving our wives like Christ loves the church and raising kids that are stronger sooner. And so I would just say it's critically important. I see people that surround themselves with friends that tear them down, negative for their relationship with God or their wife. You got to cut some people out of your life. Not totally, but you got to create some distance and get some new people. Get the right people around you to be a better person with growth mindset as well, because, you know, you want to create a generational momentum, like you said, and it has to be a great momentum, not a bad one that you're passing on to your kids as well, but to Absolutely. those around you. So having the right people around you is so important. Joyce, I know we're wrapping up, but you just said something and it's gold. And so I just want the listeners to catch it. Momentum can go either way. Momentum doesn't have to be positive. Momentum can be negative. And I've seen that, unfortunately, as a pastor. Listeners need to remember that life really is like a treadmill. It's impossible to stay still. So you're either having momentum negatively or positive. There's nothing neutral. And if you think you're neutral, you're probably going back. It might feel like everything that matters is uphill. Being intentional and committing to moving forward and having the positive, the greater momentum as opposed to the negative. You said it quickly, but I want listeners to catch that. Yeah. It's so big. <laughs> Thank you for that. And that last part, being intentional, <laughs> is something that I always say anywhere I am on Bible study groups or with friends and family. Being intentional is so important. So thank you for that. Thank you for being on here. I'm so grateful for this. I'm encouraged by your stories and I was getting emotional at some point, but we got through, but I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Barrier Breakers Corner podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, share with those you think can benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to the BB Corner Podcast at gmail.com. The Barrier Breakers Corner Podcast is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and executive produced by Joyce Donkor. The podcast music was written by Chidi Omenihu and produced by Andy Official in the Gambia, West Africa. Cause they-